My name is Anthony Fatsis and welcome to the What The Finance podcast, where we interview finance, trading, investing experts to help you understand current market trends and learn about the intricacies of new and existing assets. Hello and welcome What The Finances to another episode of the What The Finance podcast, where we talk to experts to help gain a greater understanding about what is happening in the world of finance, investing and markets. So on today's podcast, I'm happy to welcome Michael Oliver, who's the founder of Momentum Structural Analysis. So Michael, thanks for joining the podcast today. Thanks, Anthony. No problem. So uh, my first question, can you maybe please explain to the viewers your momentum strategy and I guess maybe the flaws that you see in traditional fundamental and technical analysis, which is why you've created the strategy? uh I was a futures broker in 1975. Basically, I was a kid, you know, <laughs> and uh, with E.F. Hutton in New York, the commodity division, and uh, the chairman of the department was also chairman of the COMEX at the time. And so I, he was an orthodox technical analyst. You know, he showed me how to use price charts, draw trend lines, stuff like that. Um, I've read a lot of books on that, and some of them were good, some of them were a waste of time. But, you know, okay, anyway, that's what technical analysis is to most people. It's what you see in a Wall Street Journal. You open up the page and there's a price chart and there's a moving average laid on it and all that kind of stuff. What I did in 1987, I caught the crash. Um, and I, I caught it positively. I mean, <laughs> you didn't get caught by it. Uh, and I did it by, by using momentum. I was plotting the charts by hand back then. This is back before Excel and so forth. Uh, and what I would plot would be the monthly high and the low of the S&P 500 and its close, just like a price chart. But rather than on a scaled on the left, it would be the price. It would be a zero line and how many points above it and how many points below it. So it would be an oscillator. And what I was doing is I was plotting the monthly ranges. You could do this with dailies, weeklies, whatever, in relationship to a given moving average. In this case, I was using a long-term one specifically a three-quarter moving average. So end of every quarter, I'd average the prior three quarters and come up with a three-quarter average, which is roughly the same as a 200-day average in terms of duration, except it only adjusts each new quarter. And I was plotting these bars of the S&P, and on a price chart, you had something like that, upward curve. In fact, you could hardly draw a trend line because if you draw one, it goes steeper and steeper. So it was rough for price chart analysts to call a top there. But momentum quarterly momentum of the S&P 500 had built a floor for several years. You made a low, make a low, make a low at the same oscillator level. So it had a floor. And if you were looking at the momentum chart, you'd say, good grief, better not break that floor. Well, a week before the crash, it broke the floor and we had a crash. I didn't know it would be as dramatic as it was, literally 35% within a few days, but it was nice. And I learned a lot. And I, at that point, I evolved the methodology more so, and I started my own research firm in 1992. We primarily, up until 2016, only had institutional clients. We then opened it up to individual investors, subscribers, and so forth. We analyzed all four asset categories, stock markets of of the world, not just U.S., uh, bond markets, foreign exchange, and commodities. And within the commodity realm, we emphasize gold, and so we're focused more so on gold and silver. Okay. So anyway, but right now in the, today's world, these markets are all highly correlated to one another, either inversely or coincident direction. Uh, so it's very important if you think you, you want to be in gold or want to be in this market or that market, you better pay attention to the other markets because, frankly, there is a linkage, and it's very strong now. Again, it could be inverse or it could be coincident. 
So lately, for example, we've seen a, quote, strong dollar. Okay, And everybody's obsessed. It's going to go forever and all this stuff. And they've got all their reasons for it and so forth. Well, that's been linked to the collapsing bond markets, especially higher interest rates in the U.S. has, has helped the dollar on a relative basis to other fiat currencies. Well, quite often in history, if you go back and look over 50 years, let's say, look at gold on its big swings, 10 years here, 10 years there, and compare it to the dollar, the correlation is really not that good. There have been times where the dollar has sort of trended upward for five, six, seven years, and gold's done the same thing, same time. But recently, I admit there is a direct inverse correlation. The dollar strength has actually hurt gold or, or been coincident with gold pulling back, especially since it's March highs. Gold was up at 2100 again, or 2070 anyway, and it pulled back under 1700 recently. And the same time, the dollar has been screaming on the upside until recently. We think it may have made its top already. Uh, but anyway, but sure enough, that correlation has been pretty tight. So you really have to pay attention to these other markets. And so that's what we do in our research is we don't just look at one market as if it stands on its own. We show linkages and what you need to be paying attention to. And I think this this world today is especially heavily linked to such markets as, as interest rate uh, and foreign exchange and so forth. Anyway. Yeah, that's really interesting. So, you know, you've already mentioned a few, I guess, relationships there and what, what's happening in markets. I guess in terms of your overall hypothesis, what are you currently seeing in today's markets? I guess maybe just a bit broader in terms of- Stock uh, market, start you're... there. Uh, yeah. In January, about two, two months off its high, the NASDAQ 100 dropped, oh, it was maybe 5% off its high. We turned major long-term negative. It wasn't based on the price action. It was based on- um, long-term annual momentum of the NASDAQ 100. NASDAQ 100 is the leader index in the U.S. For instance, between 2009 and 2021, it went up 16-fold. S&P went up seven-fold during that same time. Now, even the seven-fold gain for the S&P over that 12 years, sponsored by the central bank, was the biggest stock market bubble in U.S. history in terms of Time spent going in one direction and two, the percent gain. Nothing, no prior bull market peak, 29 peak, the 2000.com peak, the 2007 real estate peak. None of those compared to the dimensionality of the bubble we've seen from 2009 to 21, which, of course, if you'll overlay a Fed funds chart uh, or an M2 chart, this Fed funds that way, you can understand why they printed the stock market higher. You can understand how it got printed higher for so long at such an extreme. Well, we regard it as a bubble now broken. Now, we turned bearish on the S&P one month later in February of this year. And since then, we've had a, a good layered arm wrestling decline. We've not had a crash. This is Mar not March 2020. This has been an arm wrestling match all the way down which is what we predicted it would be, because most bear markets, the U.S. stock market, aren't don't involve crashes. Maybe at the tail end, like in 2008, you had a crash in October. What well, was a year after the high? You had a crash-like drop, and even that wasn't the bottom. Uh, but normally, bear markets are arduous. They're teasing almost all the way down. Well, during that same time, We've had so far, we're now in the month 10 of the year, okay? 
S&P's down like was down like 20 some odd percent, NASDAQ down 30, uh, T-bonds down enormous double digits, uh, uh, muni bonds down a huge amount, high yield corporate debt, junk bonds down a huge amount, real estate down, uh, real estate ETFs. And gold is uh, down, uh, you know, it's been down at most maybe 10, 12%. Right now it's down about maybe 9 or 10% on the year. So of all the asset categories out there that you might consider to be portfolio components, orthodox components, gold being sort of a little minority component, but still orthodox. You know, people say, hey, you got to have it, you got to have it, but we don't like it, you know, because when you buy gold, you're admitting something. Uh, but anyway, but gold, why is it down the least of all these asset categories when the Fed has claimed they're fighting, quote, inflation? Well, we think they're fighting inflation, but the inflation that they're bursting is the stock market inflated bubble, the bubble they created, and they just stuck a huge pin in it. And there should be no shock on the part of those who observe central banks to recognize that that's what's going on. Their policy has broken inflation, which went into the inflated money supply, went into the stock market for a dozen years. It did not go into commodities. Commodities laid on the on the street corner. Uh, look at the Bloomberg Commodity Index, for example, back in 2008, 2011, it was up well up in the 200s. It collapsed down into the high 50s. 50, okay. In 2016 through 2020, and it laid there for four years, like, you know, busted. Nobody cared about it. Prices of most commodities were at levels that were just ridiculously, you know, theoretical zero levels, really. But all the money that the Fed created went into the stock market instead of the commodity markets. But in October of 2020, our analysis, and this is again, at that point, the Bloomberg had rallied up to about 70, okay, about 15 points off of its bare low. We said there's a commodity explosion coming. Now, this again, this is October of 2020. Putin didn't invade uh, didn't invade Ukraine until February of this year. Okay, so it wasn't Putin that caused this explosion in commodities, and virtually every commodity you could throw a dart at—energy, grains, you name it, copper—all of them exploded during that time. Gold had already exploded. In fact, it had peaked in the summer of 2020 after having been at a thousand and fifty in uh, 2015 at its bare low. It reached two thousand and seventy in mid-summer of 2020. So it was well ahead of the commodity explosion. They they were still in the sewer when gold was making its high. But the commodities joined in. And this, of course, upset the Fed because they, they call inflation, you know, when it's commodities, not when it's stock prices. That's okay, you know. But when the corn price goes up, I nah, can't put up with that, or, or gasoline prices. So they came in with their pitchforks and they think they're going to bust the bubble. Well, they did. Okay, and I hope they enjoy it because it is not going to recover. Once you bust a bubble like that, you can throw all the money you want at it. The problem with it is in the past, whenever a bubble has burst for them, like the dot com bubble, uh, which laid in in that bull market, they did in in fact sponsor because there was a, a, a monetary crisis in late 1998. The central banks just went berserk to protect against it by printing, printing, printing. And that helped boost that that bubble. But once these bubbles break, the central banks come in and they try to stop it, you know, with rate cuts or whatever. Like 2008, they came in buying mortgage-backed securities. That didn't stop the collapse in that market, by the way. 
In fact, it exacerbated it. So when bubbles break, they won't be able to stop it. Why? Because asset managers and wise investors say, hey, you know, I've had enough of this one. This market is nothing but high risk, high reward. Right now, it's low low reward possibilities and high risk. I'm going to move more money over to somewhere else. Well, as I explained, if you go for the first 10 months of this year, there's nowhere else to go other than perhaps gold which is down the least. In fact, if you ran nothing but a gold bullion fund, you're beating the pants off all your competitors in the portfolio. <laughs> okay, so when the asset managers make that kind of decision, and I'm talking about non-gold bug asset managers, Ray Dalio's of the world that have spoken out about this issue, about Ray Dalio's quote, I think it was like a, a year ago, said, quit focusing on the price of your stock. Instead, pay attention to the underlying degradation, underlying value of your money unit. So he's keenly aware of what's really going on. And it's guys like him that make a shift like this. And once they make that kind of shift, they don't just slip back two weeks later. You know, they're making a judgment call of an investment grade quality. And there's lots of guys like him now who've made that decision that that I'm out of this, or I'm shifting more out of this and into something else. And commodities is one of those arenas. Uh, and gold, I think, is about to be resurrected again and for the to continue the bull trend that's already underway uh, that began from the 2015 low. But the effort to break commodities, right now we're getting a pullback in commodities. Bloomberg Commodity Index, for example, which is a well-balanced index, not just heavily energy. Some of them are too heavily focused on energy. It's a better balanced index. So it's the one we watch. It has had a correction for the last oh, five, six months. In fact, during most of the war in the Ukraine, commodities have corrected to the downside. Or in fact, oil has pulled back. You know, it hit a high of 130 and it's traded into the 70s recently. We think it is a corrective downside move in commodities that we've been witnessing for the last several months. It is not the end of the commodity upside. It's highly likely we've only seen the first major upwave in commodities. That was from late 2020 to a high early this year. Once this correction process is over, expect commodities to engage in another upleg. And we do expect it to occur, and it will not be just focused on energy of that sort. It'll be, I think, food commodities are likely to be a headline type event. Uh, in fact, if you just look, you know, if you want to look at gasoline futures or crude oil futures, we've had the pullback in the last few months. What's been going on with cattle pushing up to all time highs? You know, so yes, you maybe you save a buck on your gallon of gas, but you're going to spend that buck buying higher hamburger meat or steaks. <laughs> so, you know, it sort of evens out. Uh, anyway, uh, we think that's what's going on. And we think the paper asset bubble is breaking. It will continue to break over the next year or two, probably in some serious in the street type of repercussions. The everyday guy is going to feel it, not just the guy who owns the portfolio. This is going to influence the central banks to do what they do best, which is to print, print, print. Given the weakness that we've seen recently in government bonds, in fact, it's not just weakness, it's illiquidity. And that's the term Janet Yellen used a couple of weeks ago, expressed great concern about the illiquidity, not just in the UK gilts, but in the Japanese uh, market, JGBs. 
but the sharp weakness we've had in U.S. treasuries associated also not just with weakness, rising yields, dropping price, but illiquidity. Illiquidity is a dangerous word. Uh, in fact, that was the word, the term that applied best to mortgage-backed securities. They became an illiquid market. When a market becomes illiquid, it almost doesn't become a market. And so when she expressed fear a week or two ago, she said great concern about the illiquidity. That was a heck of a statement. Uh, and I'm sure the Fed, a lot of Fed governors, uh, that's in their minds as well, although they're not expressing it, of course. Uh, you, they can't afford to allow government debt to become illiquid. Uh, and therefore, they have to take steps. And I think this past week, for example, in the Forex market, the dollar has been bashed. In fact, it got bashed big time on Friday. It made its high a month ago, up near 115 on the dollar index. This month, it's kept trying to go back up to 114. We got up to 113.90 something on Friday and closed the day at 111.80 something. Huge collapse for one day. There was clearly intervention there. Uh, and I, that is to help take some of the illiquidity problem out of the bond markets because that illiquidity in, in the for the, in, the violence in the forex markets has been very adverse to the Japanese and the British. So their, their bond markets have become illiquid. So of ours. And so I think that that Forex action that we saw Friday was indication that highly likely central banks intervened there to help hose down that situation, hoping that it would also help soon the bond markets. And we shall see next week probably whether the bonds uh, find some kind of footing, not a major low, but some kind of footing to generate a rally. Anyway, it's an interesting world, and we think it's going to be quite violent, and we think the major benefactor is going to be monetary metals because the central banks cannot play the game they're playing now. They'll have to revert back to their primary reason, raison d'etre, uh, that were founded for the purpose of funding government debt markets when they're unfundable otherwise. And I think that's the situation we're facing soon. Yeah, well, it's fascinating to hear. So I, I, let's, I guess let me just maybe um, give a quick overview of that and tell me if I'm correct or not. So I guess over your whole career, past 40 plus years, we've really seen a secular trend of, um, you know, bonds have been, I guess, the safe haven, equities have gone up, but that you're sort of easing a shift, you're seeing a shift in that trend where bonds won't be the safe haven anymore. It will probably be more gold and equities aren't just going to continue to go up as they have over the, the past period because of these factors you mentioned? Uh, I think that the, especially in the US market, which is okay. the distinct bubble market in terms of stocks. If you look at the European market, although they've got all the headline news about you know the, the energy crisis there and so forth, actually their markets did not go up like ours, nor did the Chinese, nor did the Shanghai. Shanghai over the last few years has gone up, but it's certainly not a bubble. And it's breaking down as well. It's coincident with the U.S., so is Europe. But we think the percent decline is highly likely to be more in the U.S. than it is in those markets because they're not breaking from a bubble top. There may be bull market peaks that are breaking down and will suffer bear markets. That's highly likely. But on a percentage basis, we're the ones that have created the greatest sin. And it was monetarily based. And when it comes unwound, it will be painful. Uh, and for asset managers, their shock this year is that the alternatives that usually are there for them in the portfolio mix aren't there now. The bonds are not a safe place to be, even government bonds. 
uh, muni bonds are not a safe place to be. If you look at a price chart, for example, of the S&P compared to, let's say, where it was in 2008, nine at the lows or, or even the highs in 2000, and in 2007, at 1,500 plus on the S&P, we're still well above those levels. If you look at T-bonds, look at muni bonds, look at high-yield corporate debt charts, we're challenging the 2009 lows. I mean, so those markets have effectively crashed. Uh, and therefore, where do you go? And I think some of the evidence of where, pe- where asset managers are going isn't that gold is going up. Though I think that's going to occur. I think it's going to resume its ongoing bull trend. It's that it's not going down like they are. How come? How come the Bloomberg Commodity Index is still nicely up on the year? Okay, they're fighting inflation, right? Okay, 10 months of this and they're killing the stock market and the bond markets, but they're not killing commodities. They're having a correction still nicely up on the year. It goes down, uh, you know, some this coming week, probably single digits on the year. So on a comparative basis, these assets that they're supposedly breaking aren't breaking. And I think the reason is that we're coming to a monetary crisis and a government bond crisis. We're seeing the beginnings of it. And there's only one alternative for central banks at that point. They have to defend. And I think gold knows that, that that's around the corner. Yeah, it's a fascinating thing. So I guess how will this affect your own strategy in terms of momentum? Because I guess there'll be you know, if what you say happens, there'll be so much more volatility, and I guess it'll be quite hard to actually, you know. Well, it'll, it, yeah. the volatility is increased, uh, particularly lately in silver, for example, which uh, we measure not just silver itself and gold itself, but their relationship to one another. Mm-hmm. And silver will outperform gold at times nicely, handsomely, and then it'll underperform vastly. So, for example, if you ran a spread chart measuring silver, the way we do it is we measure silver price as a percent of the price of gold. And recently, the price of silver has come down to around 1% of the price of gold. If you go back about to the mid-1970s and measure the spread between silver and gold, you'll see there are times that silver was 6.5% the price of gold. There are several times it was 4.5% the price of gold. And most of the years in that nearly nearly 50-year period, you would see at some point silver is trading above 2% of the price of gold. Okay. Right now, coming up from near 1%, silver is vastly undervalued. Okay. Well, maybe it's going to stay that way. But within that trend situation, that range of, of up and down readings, we know we've been at a low level historically recently. We've been to this level a couple times in the past 40, 50 years, and it's always been a buy. But when we measure the momentum of the spread, what we do is we measure each month's close of that spread relationship, and we plot it just like you would a price chart. Okay, Then we measure those readings in their relationship, for example, to a three-month moving average of the spread. Well, when we do that since early 2021, and by the way, silver at that point, early 2021, had come back up to its highs again, which had been near 30 in the summer of 2020. In January of 2021, it came back up and actually nipped out 30 very briefly and started to sink. At that point in time, shortly after that high, the silver gold spread turned down again, disfavoring silver. You can see it on the spread. It didn't collapse. It was just an arm wrestling match for a year and a half where silver would underperform gold. And the momentum agreed with it. But over the last year and a half of that decline, 
meaning shortly after that high, in fact, momentum started to build a base. You could not see it on the spread chart. Spread chart kept layering down, disfavoring silver. And during that time, what was going on with the net price of both metals? They were under pressure. Okay, so the spread was indicative of the general trend of the metals as well. The monthly close of, it was August, that spread's momentum broke out. So it told us, okay, this game is over. It's likely now silver's going to outperform gold going forward. That also tells us something else, because usually when that occurs, that shift occurs, favoring silver over gold. It also means that the net price of both metals is going back up with silver in the lead. So over the last few mentioned volatility, in the last few months, we've seen silver go from the 17s up to about 21, back to 17s, back now over 19. The volatility is incredible in basically what's amounting to about a three-month or so sideways range now, where it's violently swinging. So the, the, the normal day-to-day or week-to-week range you might get has suddenly gone explosive to where the what you call the volatility parameters of that market have changed dramatically. And therefore, when it unleashes to the upside, it'll just be continuation of the volatility we're already seeing. And we think it's going to unleash to the upside. Uh, anyway, that's some more. I hope I didn't bore you to death with, with that. No, that's really interesting. So I guess, you know, we can see that you're, you believe gold, silver, and I guess other commodities are going to, in relation to other Assets, assets increase especially. further. Yes. Uh, are there any, any anything else you're watching, or do you think it's mainly just going to be the commodities? Well, I think the dollar. Watch it because it, it'll be helpful. You don't want to be short along the dollar. You're talking percent moves there. You're talking, for instance, the big quote explosion we've seen in the dollar. It actually broke out on a price chart basis in April and May when it came up to a price of um, 104 on the dollar index. There were two prior highs in the prior several years at 103 and change and 103 and change. Finally got to 104. And then the best it's seen since then is something around 115. But most of the action's been caught between, oh, well, 111 and 114, let's say. Well, you're talking single digit percent gain since that price breakout in April and May. So, you know, single digit percent. So even if the dollar does top and we think it's topping, we've got some numbers below. And I'll, I'll give you one of our lowest number. There's some other numbers that will be triggered before this. But we made a low early this month, early this quarter, just above 110 in the dollar index. In fact, it was 110.05. Our trigger number was 109.85. So it came within 2100s of hitting our major trigger number and rallied. You ever go back and take out the low of the quarter, you're going to hit that trigger. So what you don't want to do, if you're bullish on the dollar, you 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 better have your stop in place because you get down under 110, it's over. And I think it would be a sharp decline. Uh, in fact, it wouldn't shock me to see the dollar go into the bin again, big time. Uh, to beat your chest about the strong dollar is really sort of ridiculous. I mean, you're, you're dealing with one piece of, pardon, uh, fiat paper versus another piece of unbacked fiat paper. So, you know, it's... it's it's hard to see value in any of them lasting anyway. Um, but that drop in the dollar, a top in the dollar now, will impact gold, I think, greatly, because it has been inversely correlated recently, especially. And I think that correlation, that inverse correlation, will continue if the dollar peaks. And I think it is in the process of peaking right now. Uh, 
And, and I think get, gold will get a benefit from that, but silver will get more. Um, as far as silver, ultimately, go back and look at gold from the early 70s to the present, so 50 years. There have been three major bull markets in gold, each of which produced either a seven-fold increase in price from bear market low to bull market peak or an eight-fold move. Take, for example, the 1976 low just above 100. By 1980, it was 850. Uh, in 1999, early 2000, gold was at $250 an ounce, just above there, making a low. It went to 1920, another eightfold move. Okay, so it's had three moves. In the early 1970s, it was at 30 bucks and went to 200. 1975. Okay, that was almost a sevenfold. So you've had three moves of that dimension in that 50-year period. So it's not like it's some rarity. Okay. Let's say every 10, 15 years, it generates an eightfold. Okay. Well, we certainly have the preconditions now for a monetary crisis. Therefore, a situation in which the world turns to a backed currency, turns to gold again. Uh, who knows who will lead that? Maybe the Chinese will. I don't know. Somebody will come up with a gold-backed currency and the, the world will flock to it. But if gold merely had another eightfold move, it would be $8,000 because its bear market low is 1050 2015. Okay. Is that extraordinary? No. no. We've done it three times in the past 50 years. And the, the current condition certainly could justify another one, right? Okay. If silver were merely 2% of the price of gold and it were $8,000, well, you do the math. It's off the page. Okay. Uh, so, and, and 2% is, is a level that silver has seen so many years in the last 50 that it's the majority of years silver's at least seen itself at two point, it to be 2.1%. So it's routinely seen that level as a minimum. So when we talk extraordinary numbers like that, it's not so crazy, even when you just look at a price chart. Gold's done it three times. It could do it a fourth time. Certainly has the justification for it. Uh, and silver just coattailing it and go into a normal ratio would be off the page. So anyway, it's something to think about. So yeah, watch the dollar. Um, and I think that the the violence we're going to see in the monetary markets and in the debt markets that we're already seeing is the sort of precondition, especially when the stock market joins in and you start getting the data points that these silly people want to look for. Always lag to reality, of course. But when unemployment starts to uptick in a shocking way, uh, and of course, that data point is very lagged. Um, and even the last unemployment report, if you actually go inside and look at it, the, the biggest increase was in what? Entertainment and hospitality, the core of our economy. Okay. So uh, when the Fed sees the data points it needs to see to justify shifting policy again, they'll shift, believe me. And we think they'll see the data points. Yeah, it's fascinating. So, Michael, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Um, I, I guess my last question is, what is one message you'd want people to take away? Is it that, or do you have another message? Well, I'll go to our website, and you'll see a little bit about us. It's olivermsa.com, MSA for Momentum Structural Analysis. And you can find my lovely picture there, and below it is my email address. If you want to click on it, I'll, we will send you sample copies of recent reports. Um, anyway, thanks for your time, Anthony. Perfect. Awesome. I'll put that all in the description below. So thanks again. Thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe so you're notified when new podcasts are released. I hope you're leaving with some great value about investing, trading and finance. See you on the next show.